everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. It's not a happy day in Frogville. Let's just go ahead and say it. Baylor beats TCU 29-23 in triple overtime. There were some amazing calls, calls that went our way, calls that didn't go our way. Maybe my favorite moment is where it ends in regulation, 9-9. You want to talk about the antithesis of a Big 12 game? That's what it is. We're going to talk about that as the Frogs sit on the cusp of heading out to Lubbock. Bowl eligibility is on the line from here on out. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Daniel, I know you usually give a one-word answer about how things are terrible when we talk about Baylor and what you see on the field that you don't like from the Frogs, but you know, it's been a while since you've had to sit in the lament, in the grief, in the lamentation of losing to Baylor as a TCU fan. How did it feel watching that game come to an end and knowing that Baylor got their first victory since 2014? <clears throat> well... <laughs> It was it was it was bizarre. I was really sad at how many breaks Baylor got um, to keep themselves alive. Now we had a break or two, you know, like the Tavalence Hunt um, wild catch in overtime to keep the game going. But then we had it, you know, we had it locked down with the um, interception there towards the end. But no, no, no. What was it? A false start or whatever that called that back and, and, and then eventually the guy kicks the longest field goal of his life by a mile. Um, and it's just like, you know, nothing. We, we could barely squeak by, but Baylor kept catching these breaks in a mm, divine intervention style fashion. It felt like, and, uh, and it was rough, but, because I think because it, it took it into third overtime and, you know, just it just didn't quite work out. It wasn't like it wasn't a heartbreaker. It just sucked. Again, of course, we all, let's say we were having a great season. Maybe it would be more of a heartbreaker. But with the crappy season, I still think uh, now while Baylor's over overrated, uh, you still held your own against that highly ranked of a team when you're having such a rough time. You got to see. Um, I, some things out of Max Duggan that I liked, but it's never fun to lose to the absolute most horrible institution on the face of the planet. And, um, but, uh, I'll get over it one day. Oh, I thought you were going to say the IRS there. You're talking about Baylor. Okay. I can go with that. Yeah. Baylor's worse than the IRS. Whoa, that's a hot sports opinion right there. Jeremy, there's a lot of blame to go around on this. Let's do a deep dive on that. There's blame that can kind of fit anywhere. The the, the offense, the defense, some play calling, some officiating, uh, some choice of timeouts and not calling timeouts. There were a few calls that went here and there, a call that they missed. Bottom line, like what are two or three things you kind of put your finger on about, like this is what broke the back of the Frogs in a game that I I think they should have won. I don't want to say, oh, they gave the game away. Baylor won, TCU lost. What are some things you want to put your finger on that the the Frogs can say, hey, we didn't get this right, and that's the reason that we lost? Are you looking for particular plays in the game or just overall scheme of things? 
Let's go overall scheme of things. We're going to go play by play here in a minute, but let's let's go overall scheme of things. What did you see just in terms of the approach to the game that cost them? Well, I mean, you're not going to you're not going to win a game scoring nine points. I mean, the defense played about as good as they could, um, and I've kind of been on the side of the Sonny Cumbie in the offense. And while I don't think he uh, called a bad game, the execution was horrible. Yeah, drop passes once again, uh, multiple critical drop passes uh, during the game. Um, you had an offensive line that was just put to task by the Baylor's def- defensive line. And if you need any uh, any proof of that, just go into the third overtime when they're on the one-yard line and can't get anything going. And I'm not going to fault the, the end of the game. Like Gary had three timeouts. At that point, I really didn't trust Max throwing the football. He was kind of erratic throughout the day with his accuracy. And I I agree with Gary what he said after the game. Um, fans really don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, and I don't blame him for uh, not not taking the timeouts there, not going downfield. You're in a tie ball game, and if it was obviously ten to nine, they would have passed there. But you play for overtime, and the way his defense pl- was playing up to that point, you thought maybe they had a chance to to do something. So. Um, the secondary, they did, man, they did so good in regulation, and they just kind of fell apart in overtime. Um, but there's a there's a lot of things that didn't go right for the frogs on Saturday, and just very few things that that just you could be positive about, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think the issue is Baylor played bad, and TCU found a way, found a way to play worse. I think that's the frustration. It was kind of a bi- bipolar half. So the Frogs are up nine nothing at halftime. We're going to talk in a second here how it should have been a whole lot more. But Baylor comes back and they score nine in the second in the second half. Frogs don't score any, and you get the halftime and you get to overtime. You know, you mentioned that um, into regulation there. They got thirty some seconds, got all their timeouts. I'm, I'm going back and forth. I kind of change my mind about every half hour, if you want to know how much I think about this. Part of me says, you know, look at what they did in Texas game, at the Texas game. Now, granted, that was before the half and not regulation. Trying, You know, it was a different game situation. But they have the capacity to go down the field. At least you know that they have that ability. I also know if Max throws a pick at the 45-yard line, uh, Baylor's cooking with grease, and they've got the ability to get down and win the game. And you take the ball out of your quarterback's hand by allowing him to get to reg- get to overtime and end regulation. So, I've changed my mind back and forth on that. I kind of, I only wish they they would have gone gone and attacked downfield at the end of regulation after we know that they lost. But I also had this feeling that you know if we get to overtime, Baylor is is rolling. The Frogs haven't done anything in the second half on offense. And the fact of the matter is that is a superior team, and you have to take it from a superior team. And I thought that that, was, that at the end of regulation was a chance to do that. But at the end, of, but at the same time, I can't fault Gary for sitting on that because if they throw a pick, it's over. And I know that's yeah. conservative, and I know it's different than the way a lot of other people think. But that was the decision that he made, and, and it and it had a chance to play out. I mean, like it, we, it was the jump ball in the second in the in the overtime over and over and over, and, and the right. frogs just weren't able to execute. I guess what I was really I was more disappointed in the defense in the second half minus I mean in overtime, except for that first and goal with the one, which we'll talk about in a second. So I cut I'll, you off I'll, there. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll say toward the end, it if if Max had been, oh I don't know, let's say you know, 20 of 28 in the game 
and hadn't thrown two interceptions up to that point and had, you know, been pretty consistent throwing the football, then I, I then I would have said, let, let's see what he could do. Let's see what the guy could do. He's obviously had a great day throwing the football. But if you can honestly sit there and say that you thought Max had a great day throwing the football up until that point, and I'm not talking to you, Jeff, I'm talking about anyone that faults what Gary's decision was, then go ahead and think that. I mean, but he wasn't having a good day. The, the, the proof is in the pudding. Look at his stat sheet. He did not have a good day throwing the football. They only had 67 yards of offense in the second half. So what in your right mind, fans, do you think all of a sudden TCU's going to have a chance to start moving the ball downfield against Baylor? I don't give a care. I don't I just want to see. No, you're in a tie ball game with the number 12 team in the country. You play it safe there. That's what you do. That's why the coach makes $6 million and you're an armchair quarterback. That's why. Perfect That's why deci- he, he perfect decision by Gary Patterson. Downvote me all you want. Downvote me all you want. That's why he's making six million dollars a year, and I'm hosting a podcast. So <laughs> from my kitchen table, by the way. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you, and no, I don't think you should. You know the idea. Let's just see what we can do. That's that's terrible too, because you are one. You are one pass, one tip pass away. You're one James Lynch rushing unabated, unabated to come and hit Max away from from Baylor winning. So I, I completely understand that. I completely understand that. I understand both sides of it. I don't understand the bro mentality that's like just go see what happens. That's that's not coaching. That's not discerned wisdom. And it's and, you know, and I know Patterson kind of swings from the hip, but on, on that, I, I I resonated with what he said at the at the post game con- uh, press conference, even though. If he would have tried to go downfield, I wouldn't have argued with him. So. Now, we'll say this before anyone mentions the Cheez-It Bowl, because I know the Cheez-It Bowl last year, they were going to do the same thing. Okay, it's a tie ball game. They were playing for overtime. And then all of a sudden, Shaywell breaks a long 33-yard gain, and they're in business. They're they're nearly in plus territory. And then they, they throw a couple passes to try to get in better field goal range, and they kick the field goal. Had Shaywell broke, a, a play of like 17, 20 yards and they get to where they're not in the shadow of their own end zone. Yeah. Gary probably would have called a timeout right then. And they would have discussed trying to figure out how to get 15 to 20 yards so they can get in field goal range. So before you bring up the cheese at bowl, understand that that was a different situation as far as Shaywo didn't break a long play like he did against Cal in the bowl game. Again, if he breaks it, yeah, Gary's Gary's gonna. He's not stupid. He's gonna if he if Shaywo carries the ball and he gets out to the forty-five, they're probably gonna call a timeout. But when he gets four or five yards, and you know your offensive line isn't gonna block, you know Max is struggling throwing the football, you're not gonna put yourself in a situation to where you're gonna give yourself a chance to have a tip pass or a a, a sack or a fumble or anything like that. You you need to let the time run down and see what your defense can do and hopefully your offense plays better and 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 really uh your defense didn't play good in the overtime your offense kept up scoring and we'll discuss all that here in a minute i guess all right let's go to the moments that made me drop words i'm not supposed to say in my profession which of these three drops was more uh frustrating to you pro wells dropping a touchdown pass which would have won the game jalen rager dropping a first down pass that would have kept the drive alive or Shaywo's drop that would have, that turned into an INT where the you know Baylor was obviously right down there um, you know pressing to score. 
obviously Pro Wells pass is the one that we all remember, but all three of those passes were all three of those drops were backbreakers. You mentioned execution is part of the issue. That was a beautiful play that Sonny Cumbie called, and I'm as I'm critical of Sonny Cumbie at this point. But that was a beautiful play call, and Pro Wells had that ball over his shoulder. He beat this defender, and he dropped the pass. That has got to be frustrating for Frog fans as well as people following the team. Which of those kind of got under your skin the most, Jeremy? Uh, the Pro Wells one was so early in the game, you, you figured they would they would overcome it. But usually Pro's been pretty consistent this year. I think if you look at the receivers overall, he's he's been probably the most consistent of the whole team. And I, I really can't recall him just dropping critical passes and and really, when you're dealing with a quarterback that's coming off a, a hurt finger and you go down and throw a pass like that, I mean, we were talking about it in the press box during the game and after the game still that, that Max couldn't have handed it to him better. And it was it was a beautiful pass, and, and you catch that ball, you're up 6 nothing, get an extra point seven nothing on your first drive of the game, and, man, you can't start a game any better than that. And uh, I, I think he overcame it because he made some – bigger catches in the game but you know you look at Jalen's drop that was a uh, a huge first down uh they were going third down and catches that ball it's a first down and and they continue the drive and there's another drop I mean it's an under throw but Jalen could have gone down and shown more effort on on the one past the end zone but Max Max didn't have a lot of zip on that ball um probably you know could have thrown it a little bit better but I would say, uh, and Shaywos was just, whew, I, I, all I could do was laugh on the game thread when someone said Max needs to take heat off that pass. I mean, he was throwing across his body. Shaywo has it directly in his hands. Uh, it, you got to make the catch. You got to make the catch. You got to make the catch. You're, you're, you're getting your college paid for because you're a good athlete. You got to make the catch. And I think, Probably out of all of those, I would say Shaywos is the most critical just because it gave Baylor a uh, prime field position. Defense came up big, but um, it did it did lead to a field goal, I think. And, I mean, you just got to look at it to where it's nothing that the coaches could do on any of those plays. The Sonny Cumbie's not going to be able to go out and catch the ball for Pro Wells or Shaywo or Jalen on any of those, and, and he's not going to be able to throw a pass better to Jalen for the touchdown. Um, for Max, so it, it's execution, man. I we we can harp on Cumby for three hours and 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 talk about the reasons why people hate him and everything else. But bottom line to it is, you've got to make plays when you're given the opportunity. That's all that that's what it takes. And we keep hearing the difference in these ball games. They they've lost four ball games now by seven points or less, and it's minimal plays, guys. You're you're talking about three plays that easily could have been the difference in the game easily could have been the difference in the game. Yeah. Any of those three, uh, well, obviously pro Wells catches the ball. I think the frogs win. So that's, that's one point. And then, you know, Shaywo's pass that shouldn't have happened or drop that shouldn't have happened. Jalen Rager. I'm, don't get me started. We're going to talk about him in a second. That was uh, that was a lack of effort on the one in the end zone, and that was a drop that he had that could, that could have kept a drive going. And so that's that's inexcusable. But I think the most frustrating part of the game. You said this, Jeremy. I concur. I thought it when I saw it. Uh, they they're at first and goal at the one, 
And literally all they do is go backwards. Here's the quote that you pulled from Cordell from the post game. He says, honestly, we have to do better. We are at the one. We have to get that. We do. Ain't no excuses. We've got to get that one. So the Frogs are first and goal at the one, and all they do is back up. All they do is back up. Penalties, frust- you know, sat- you know, losing yards. That's just infuriating. And I'm, I, I know I butchered the quote, and whoever said I butchered the quote on the board, I apologize. But that goes back to what Coach Looper said, that we want every- we need to be able to run the ball when everybody knows we're going to run the ball. And they could not make that happen. What, what do you pin that on, their inability to pick up, you know, 30, 36 inches um, 36 inches in goal with Shewo with an offensive line and they're not able to score. I think it's a combination of a few things to me. I, I probably would have lined Max up under center and just seen what he could have done three times in a row. I wouldn't even got tricky. I wouldn't, that's what drives me nuts about the offenses that never go under center because they're so used to, to being a shotgun. It throws them. It, it sounds dumb, but it really does throw them off when they go under center. And especially with Max having a hurt finger, I don't know how he could have taken a snap. Um, but I, I really wish they would have put him under center. But I I look at it, uh, I, I probably, you know, Shaywo, it no one's no one's blinded by it. That he, he seems to think he's an east-west runner all of a sudden, you know, the last couple years. When, when he decides to run straight ahead and just plow – his head down, he gets yards. It's he runs over people. That touchdown he scored, he ran over two Baylor tacklers. I mean, he plowed himself into the end zone. But for whatever reason, they they go east west. But I asked Gary after the. I was trying to see what he would say if he was disappointed in the play calls down there, or if it was something else. And I asked him straight up. Coach, you're at the one-yard line. Did you ever think about putting Max under center and just letting him run straight ahead? And he said, I don't have the quote directly in front of me, but he said something on the lines of, I don't know if that would even matter the way we were getting pushed back anyway. So what does that tell you? He He's sitting there telling you and everyone else, his line's getting pushed back. His line is getting destroyed by Baylor's defensive line. James Lynch was eating – whoever was on the right side's lunch, whether it's Austin Myers at guard, Bolasomi at tackle. He, he was having – he ended up with seven tackles, but I guarantee he had a lot more plays where it didn't show up in the stat column that he was a big reason why plays just got destroyed. Um, but it, I, I would I would definitely put it on the offensive line right there. There's There's no question about it, and Cordell admitted it. I mean, he's telling you right now, you ask him, that that was the direct question asked to him in postgame. Cordell, you guys are at the one-yard line, what happened? And he's saying, we've got we've to get in there. That's, he, he basically said, that's on us without saying it's on them. And that's, he, he didn't say, oh, I didn't like the, we didn't like the play calls. Of course, they're never going to say that, but they're, they're, take, they, they're taking that ownership. They, they know that. They didn't execute. And anyone that's watching the game, you, you got to think the same thing. And then they're so close. You can question the play call. You can question which way Shea was running. Then you get a holding penalty on David. And then they're all of a sudden back even for, I, I knew as soon as the holding penalty happened that it was, it was game. It was over because they, they very rarely dig themselves out of holding penalties, whether it's 
uh, in early part of a drive, middle part of a drive, the holding penalties usually kill them. They, they're basically a first and 15 offense. They can obtain first and 20 or, you know, third and long. It's, it's rarely, uh, that they, that they get those conversions. We saw it happen fourth and nine on an amazing catch by Tavalence, but other than that, it was it, when when they got that holding call, I knew the game was over because they they weren't going to be able to get those yards back. Let's go back towards the end of regulation when Baylor kicks that field goal to tie the game. So, Coach Rule called a timeout, and I think Coach Patterson was trying to call one, but but the, the it went. Uh, they call it rule got it in first. So he sends John Mayer out there. I mean, like his, if you look at him, like he kicks, like it's a wonderland. It's amazing. Uh, did you catch that? <laughs> nice, uh, nice. So he, he goes out there. I wonder if he's from Georgia. I wonder, I wonder, uh, why, why did they not try to ice him? Tell me why they, I mean, if you're not going to, if it, if at that point, you know, we're not going to use our timeouts to try to get down the field. Why did they not try to at least, you know, burn it, you know, call a timeout, ice him, and not let him be able to just trot out there and get that kickoff? That was the part that it was a little confusing to me because I feel like if, if you're going to make that decision, if they make it, we're just going to go to overtime. Understood. We've kind of hashed through that. Why not do everything you can to throw him off, let him get lined up, freshman kicker, get locked in, and then call timeout a split second before the snap and see what happens? That. That makes more sense instead of him saving those timeouts when you had 36 seconds. I I couldn't ask you why they didn't ask the kicker. Maybe he thought when when Matt did it that it was going to be good enough. Um, but I don't. We joke around. Does Gary get bonuses keeping these tied these uh, timeouts or what? Because he never uses the timeouts very often. I mean, you'll you'll look up at the end of the first half and they they typically have two to three timeouts left. Uh, and, and I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. I think we asked him after the game why he didn't use the timeout there, and I can't remember um, his answer. I'd have to go back and find it. But that makes a whole lot more sense of the fans being questionable to Gary. Why didn't you try to ask the kicker? Because if you knew that your quarterback wasn't playing well and you weren't going to throw the ball to try to win the, win the game, Maybe he was hoping for a long play where he could use those timeouts. I don't know, but I'm in agreement with the fans there. They they definitely should have, or he should definitely should have used a timeout, at least one timeout to ice the kicker. You got to you got to at least try it. You got to at least try it. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to at least try it and do everything you can to to throw him off of any kind of normal routine, especially being you know so new to the game with his longest career field goal. That was the part where I was very, very critical. So, yep, that's just what it is. I, c- I can't believe he made it, and then I couldn't believe we didn't try, call to, try to call timeouts. All right, let's go through some some uh, her- heroics, some controversial calls. I'm just going to get this out of the way. I don't think the refs screwed it up. I think the refs at least balanced it out because – I don't know about that Tavalence Hunt catch, and I don't know about uh, backs being in or out. I mean, it's it's all so subjective. But let's go ahead and start with uh, Tavalence Hunt making that catch to extend the game. Uh, I had already tweeted out that the Frogs lost when when that was ruled incomplete. It looks as if you know Max lets it rip. Tavalence goes up, brings it down, puts one hand down, which is the same as one foot. 
comes down, and then the ball comes out. And I'm like, he's not inbounds, and then he didn't catch the ball. They kick it up to review. Turns out they think that it's not – I mean, that, that the hand counts and that he uh, he held on to the ball and the ball caused the, – the ground caused the fumble. What was the reaction like in the in the press box as well as in the stands and then some feedback that you've been able to get when they overturned that call? Do you think they got it right in – uh, you know what? What was it like to be to be able to experience that? Oh, they they absolutely got it right. Now in real time, it looked like he was out, but if you were looking at the big screen, we all knew immediately once once he went up the air in the air. Um, and Tavalence will probably would probably admit he was probably just trying to help himself land, break his fall, and his hand just happened to be in bounds. But he lands in bounds, and his elbow actually hits uh, as well before his before his knee does. And he's got the ball the whole time, and then the Baylor defender comes up and kicks it. So that's why the the ball comes out. Um, the 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 Baylor guy had kicked it with his foot. So when seeing it on replay and seeing it, you know, go through on the big screen, you it was unequivocally a hundred percent the correct call. I mean, there is no doubt about it. One hundred percent correct call. Uh, it was funny because all the Baylor players had already rushed the field and they were basically all the way to the middle of the field celebrating before they decided to start reviewing it. And basically the Baylor, the Baylor, Baylor players were kind of in disbelief because, and I think they were kind of pissed off that it was even being reviewed because they all thought it was out and you could just see it on the big screen. They replayed it on the big screen. They were zooming in, zooming in. And it's like, easily easily a catch and so you got more life in it and then at that point you thought maybe Baylor's luck starting to run out maybe maybe they have finally found a team that is down on their luck that's about to be up on their luck and and, and your Cinderella days are over um but you know other other plays happened go ahead talk about the other one all right, here's here's my um, unbiased, no homerism perspective on Max. Um, you know, touchdown that gets overturned. If they would have ruled him out at the six, I couldn't have argued with that right. because I thought he was out at the six at every angle. Ruling him out at the three was garbage. That's my perspective, and also. You know, you got to you got to remember this. The bias is go with the call on the field. You yeah. have to have indisputable video evidence in order to overturn a call. I thought they might have had grounds to put him at the 6. I don't know if he was in or out. I don't know if it was indisputable or if they would have said he's out at the 6 I'd have been like, "Okay, I don't agree, but okay." How did they rule him out at the 3? That's the part that ticked me off because that changes everything. If someone can figure that out, now, let us know. Yeah, we were, that we was, were trying to figure what, it out in the press box what, too. The three and a half yard yeah. line, by the way, not even the three, the three and a half yard line, and we were trying to figure out where did he where did he step out at the three and a half. But again, they use the the nice big screen at ACS now that you have, and they basically zoomed in so far, and the the crowd was going nuts because you could see on the screen that it it was so close but it did not look like his heel was out of bounds. And you're right, Jeff. There's supposed to be undisputable evidence to overturn a call like that. And there wasn't. That's what that rule's in place for, to to have those kind of calls. You could not – you're telling me on the little screen you're looking at, 
I even made a joke and I said, quit looking at the little screen. Look at the big screen that they're showing us on showing the 45,000 people in attendance. It, you, you cannot tell me that there was undisputable evidence to overturn that call. I mean, you, 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 you can't, I'm sorry. I'll go to my grave and I'll be saying, Hey man, Max was in bounds. Well, I think you're right. He was in bounds. And I think that they, I think they blew that. I absolutely think they blew that. So I think, all right, let's go. Now I don't know how much these rumors or uh, reports are true, but some sources have told me when the ref was on the uh, headset, that Bob Bosby was on one ear and the replay guy was on the other ear. Oh man. Did you read that on a West Virginia message board? Yeah. I think that's where it was. I think, but I think, I think the ref was actually talking to Bob Bosby. Pretty sure he was. Or Reese Davis from College Game Day. He was so excited to go spend a week in Waco. He's like, "You gotta, you gotta overrule that. You gotta overturn that call. I want to go spend a week in Waco and go to Magnolia Station." So, oh man, I know we're not following this in chronological order, but I got a couple things I want to complain about. Okay. Uh, do you know that sometimes people run fake punts? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. The, the, your, your quote, let me read it back to you. The fake punt is going to be the death of all TCU fans. Everyone that was at that game yelled, watch for the fake. I'm sitting on my couch, and I yell, watch the fake. Everyone knew the fake was coming. It was as clear as could be. And then they line up, and they run it, and they get the first down. Now, granted, it didn't it didn't lead to points for Baylor, but man, right. it was uh, it was a backbreaker that frustrated the heck out of me. That, that exactly right. It's frustrating because they they just it they prepare they they don't prepare for it, and then when it happens, then they stop it. You know they they start lining up a certain way to where it's not going to work, and then they get lackadaisical over a period of two or three games. They get lackadaisical, get lazy about it, and then fan. I mean, opposing teams know it because they're doing it in their own territory. It's if 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 they were in plus territory and doing it from the forty-five, but no, they they know TCU has no clue what to do on a fake punt that they'll do it deep in their own territory because they know they can get it. They know they can get it, and what I was trying to explain on my snap judgments, it's it's frustrating not only the fact that. It teams aren't doing it every week against TCU. It's not like Gary's going to get pissed off and saying, you guys are saying we always get beat by the fake punt. It, it doesn't always, yeah, it doesn't happen uh, a lot, coach. They don't run fake punts at you a lot, but when they do, it works. It works a ton because you guys weren't prepared for it. So yeah, that, that was, uh, it didn't lead to points, but I, I guarantee it, not a person listening to this, podcast right now wasn't pissed off when that thing happened because everyone like you said Jeff is always saying watch for the fake watch for the fake because it ha- it it always works it always works against them you know i watched the LSU Bama game and Gary Danielson is like a uh he's an act he's a crisis actor as far as i'm concerned i cannot stand listening to him call a game but he said one thing when Bama was coming back that caught my ear. They had Jerry Judy lined up in the slot, and he went in and caught a slant and got a first down that, that you know kept Bama going right there to the end. And he said this phrase when Jerry Judy caught that pass. He said, 
Don't look for plays, look for playmakers. And you've got to get your ball to your playmakers. Don't look for the ideal play, look for the player. The Frogs were not looking for the player in this game, and we can talk about why, but Jalen Rager had one reception for seven yards, and that is unacceptable. Um, that That is just unacceptable. What do you make of the lack of engagement of uh, Jalen Rager in the offense in this loss to Baylor? Well, I mean, he had eight targets. He had eight targets on the game. Um, he had two drops. He had the one uh, incompletion that Max had. You had another uh, two passes that were going his way that were batted down by the D lineman. You had one that was intercepted. Uh, you had that missed throw uh, by Max uh, on the uh, on the. Uh, uh, I said one incompletion. One completion is what I'm talking about. You had the one uh, low throw by Max in the end zone. That's the one we're talking about. Maybe Jalen needs to go down and, and go down for that ball a little bit earlier. And then you had one where uh, I think they just th- – uh, I think he might have thrown it deep and just couldn't uh, – Jalen just couldn't track the ball. So it's not like he only had one target – and one catch. I mean, he had, he had opportunities then, and he also ran the ball. He also ran the ball a couple times. So, I mean, you have your, ultimately you want to have the ball in his hands 15 to 20 times, 10 times you would hope to get the job done. I think that's about as many touches as he had last year in Waco. And, um, but it's, it's again, you, you, you've got to, you've got to get to a point where, you you just got to find the guy. You do. You got to find the guy. And I know he's taking some criticism because he's he's had drop passes and, and people are noticing he's not really blocking a whole lot. And maybe that's something the coaches are seeing. Maybe the coaches are uh, or even Max is seeing, man, he's not he's not catching passes when I throw it to him. when I need him to, to catch it or they're not blocking on the outside. So I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, he's he's obviously proven he's a, a good player, but um I, I would like to I would like to see him come away you know, instead of just eight targets a game. I'd like to see him have eight catches a game and um, definitely some more targets. I I, I think uh, you know these last three games that they need to make a full fourth you know full fledged effort to to get him the ball as, in as many ways as they can. All right, let's flip over to the uh, side of the field where the frogs actually had a good game. This defense came to play. Even, you know, the first drive, even with that penalty by O'Shawn Mathis, it was basically a six and out. You have to feel good about the defense and the way they performed. What did you see, or more specifically, who did you see? Give me one or two players that you feel like had a breakout game or a dominant game that allowed them to hold Baylor to nine points, pitch a shutout in the first half, because that looked familiar. That looked like a defense that actually knew what to do when, um, when the game was on the line, minus a few breakdowns in overtime. Tell us who you saw on the defensive side of the, fall, the ball that the Frogs should feel good about. You, you already named him, Moshon Mathis. I think anyone, he, he had a, a, a couple dumb penalties, but he had, he had a, a sack, and then he had another play where he got credited with the half sack, and then another play where he tackled Brewer in the backfield. Um, he was he was playing really well. That was by far his best game of the year, just as much uh, time as he spent in the backfield. And I thought, in general, the de- defensive line did a, a really good job containing Brewer, getting pressure on him, making him throw some bad passes. And uh, it, it was it was just 
probably one of the better games I've seen from the defensive line and, and without doubt, without a doubt, the best game I've seen from O'Shawn Mathis. I thought Colt Ellison gave him a little spark too. Uh, he didn't have a, a ton of uh, stats in the stat column, but I I believe that he probably did as much, if not more, than what Shamik Blackshear would have done. Uh, I, I think he I think he played pretty good in his first start. Uh, let's see. They had five new starters. Ben Wilson, yeah, ben man. Wilson played you good. You got to feel good about Ben Wilson. He had the same amount of tackles as Garrett Wallow. Yeah. So yeah. our tackles. our weekly, yeah, between two tackles yeah. between two between your two linebackers, but. They, that's what is so crazy to me. They had five new starters on defense, and they hold one of the better offenses in the Big 12 to eight yards in the first quarter, 73 yards at half, and at the end of regulation, they only had 204 yards. 204 yards and nine points, and that is the number 12 team in the country. Baylor... I'll give them credit for getting the win. They they found a way, but you are not the number 12 team in the country. You're about to get your butts handed to you up in Waco at home by Oklahoma. You are going to get drubbed by the Sooners. It's not going to be funny. You're going to lose to Texas, and you'll beat Kansas. You'll finish 10-2, and two, but it they anyone walking away from that, as bad as TCU's offense was – they still had a chance to win that game. Baylor, Baylor is – I will give them credit for their defense. Their defense is is, is pretty athletic. James Lynch is, is, is a really good player. Terrell Bernard had literally about 55 tackles. I mean, the, the, the kid was all over the place. He had – he ended up with 19 tackles, but he, he had a, a great game. And, and Tejada, Anthony Tejada's little brother, Raleigh, he, he had a great game. He only allowed one catch, and that was the – catch by hunt in overtime. And so that was they're 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 better on defense than, than what they are on offense, but I'm just telling you right now they're they're living on borrowed time. They they will lose on Saturday without a doubt. You know, I had Baylor in Minnesota kind of in the same category and then Minnesota went out and laid the wood to Penn State, the number 4 team in the yeah. country. Don't tell me that Penn State was overrated. That's the number four That's team win. in the country. That's a very good win. man. That was a good win. Now they're they're up to number PJ seven. Fleck. <laughs> yeah, you might not like PJ Fleck. He's got a lot of shtick. He's got all these low, uh, you know, shenanigans and slogans. But guess what, man? When you're beating Penn State and you're this far into the season, what are they nine and zero, eight and zero, nine and zero? Man, you can't you can't argue with that. They are not in the same category as Baylor. I will give Baylor all the credit that can be given to be undefeated at this point in the season. I say good for you. You did it. They have they have shown how you live the cliche. You win by one point. Yes. I can look at two or three games they should have lost. They should have lost the Texas game, and the Big 12 refs agree. They should have lost the Iowa State game. They could have should have lost to West Virginia, and they should have lost to TCU. But guess what? They haven't. They're undefeated. They've earned it. That's where they are, and they got a big game in Waco. And I think that's what ticks me off the most about this game is that they had it. I mean, they had it and they gave it away and Baylor got the win. And they've been doing that all year. At some point, some to- at some point, the football gods are shining on them. You know, I've said this and I'll say it again. Matt Rule is a good coach. And more importantly, he's a good guy. And this, this is a rant I want to give. You guys want to hear my rant? Go ahead. I am glad 
that we can hate Baylor for all the obvious reasons now and not for the off the field reasons. Obviously, there were reasons to hate Baylor that had to do with just heinous crime, heinous crime. And I still think there's people that should be more people that should be in jail or setting pins in a bowling alley because of that. But Matt Rule is a good guy and a good coach. And I'm glad we can hate Baylor because they're dorks, because they have to go back to Waco, because uh, all their all those freshmen are going to run onto the field next week. And then Jalen Hurts is going to put up 682 <laughs> yards of total offense on the green shirts, which I have never been a bigger OU fan than before this weekend. So I do take comfort in hating Baylor for all of the appropriate college football hate reasons yeah. rather than the criminal reasons. So, and I know, I know frog fans will probably agree with me on that. I got off, I got off track. I was, uh, I started into my Baylor hate rant, uh, rant that I had, but, um, back to the defense, the, the defense had five new starters. You had Colt, you had, uh, Ardarius, you had, uh, Van Zant starting for, uh, NS Gaines and, uh, you had, Hodges Tomlinson making his first start, LT's nephew, and uh, I'm missing someone. Oh, Ben Wilson. So you had five new guys making their first start, and they played that way against Baylor's offense. So any of you guys out there still kind of calling out Coach P for how he's playing defense, that was probably his best job of the year right there. I mean, the best game by far for his defense to – to be able to play that, yeah, I didn't go their way in the overtime, but still, you're shutting down a team like Baylor. Charlie Brewers had a good year so far. They've been able to run the football. Denzel Mims had literally three catches before overtime. They did a great job shutting him down, and you're doing it with five new starters. I, I'm going to tell you, maybe because he's a little guy and I'm a little guy, but I, I love our Darius Washington, man. I think that kid is nothing but a stinking ball player. I Yeah, he's going to have – trouble trying to tackle 240 pound running backs, but the kid just makes plays. He's always there at the right time. And Baylor got so lucky one play because they called a timeout right before Bardarius intercepted a pass on the side, or they had a false start. Sorry. They had a false start and Baylor threw the ball, Brewer threw the ball and Ardarius intercepted it on the sideline. I don't know if you remember that play, Jeff, but that's just, that's just the kind of plays that he has a chance to make the next few years he's only a freshman so they get him for the next three years you know I can't believe we've gotten 42 minutes into this podcast and not mentioned our Darius Washington yet or yeah mentioned him yet because oh my gosh is that kid a player oh my gosh is that kid a player so you have all of that talent that's young that's going to be back there are pieces in place I am as frustrated as any frog fan and I'm I'm more willing to make any change needed on offensive side of the ball. Because if you, your defense puts holds them to nine, you have to win that game in regulation. You have to win that game. But everything that's coming back on defense, all of those new starters in this game, they came to play. And you go back and look, all the guys that are making those plays are young. You're looking at Ardarius. You're looking at O'Shawn Mathens. You're looking at Hodges Tomlinson. You're looking at Colt McCoy. Or Colt McCoy. <laughs> you're looking at Colt Ellison. I'll take Colt McCoy right now, man. I mean, he's just sitting on the bench for the Redskins. Bring him back. Um, you're looking at Colt Ellison. Those are all guys on top of Stewart that, that, that's, you know, obviously getting baptized by fire. We have a lot of strength on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of people that will be coming back. That is a good group of people to, to build around. Two big four, three four-stars coming in on the defensive side of the ball in this next class. Two of them, I think, are going to be able to play right away. All on the defensive line. All on the defensive line. And Jenkins all coming in next year that are, that are big-time defensive linemen. 
and Merrick's had a great year too. Merrick, he might he might get some Big Twelve consideration uh, just for the way he's played at free safety. I, I I think he definitely deserves some type of Big Twelve um, accolades because he leads the team with four interceptions. He's made a lot of good tackles in open space, but uh, I, I think he he's got a very very bright future as well. But you mentioned Colt McCoy. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, I did. TCU, TCU's got one tough SOB at quarterback too, like Colt was. And man, Max, you know, for him to go out there and and not a lot of people knowing if he was going to play or not, he's obviously not a hundred percent. But just the way he played, just the you should have heard the press box, and there's no cheering in the press box. But the unless you're playing Texas, yeah. and then they cheer like crazy. Oh yeah, especially you, but. The the fact of the matter. Was, no, 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 no. I'm talking about some UT sports writers, not who me. Who was that? I'm trying to figure out who that because I saw the I saw the posts about it, but I could never figure it out. I I'm not okay, going to name names. I'll tell, respect tell, my tell me, tell me when we start recording because I'm I'm wanting to I know. Will. Um, but anyway, I mean that play where he he <laughs> spins off the guy and. He scores a touch. He's diving into the end zone, and the the play you know I'm talking about that he get he got called out of bounds. But what a miraculous play! I mean, everyone's going, "Oh my gosh, are you for real, this kid?" And yeah, he didn't have a great day throwing the ball, but man, he's just got so much upside. The guy just wants to win, and and, and Gary said it best. He's he's a player that hates to lose more than he likes to win, and when you get that attitude about you. You're going to go out there and do every dang thing you can in in your ability to win the game for your team. And I know he's gaining the respect of his teammates. The, the whole team gets behind him. And how could you not? How could you not get behind that kid when he's laying everything on the line? He get he got popped so bad by by James Lynch near the goal line on uh, one of those plays. I think it was the second down play. I mean, he just got lit up. And he gets up, he goes back and runs the next play. So you got to lock his toughness. You got to lock his tenacity. You got to lock the fact that he's only a freshman and he's just going to keep getting better. Yep. That's exactly how I feel. You know, some people have said that Max hasn't come along as far as freshman year as Andy Dalton did. (laughs) I'm just going to say this. Oh my gosh. Andy went seven and five in the mountain West. And that bowl game was against uh, Houston that they won 20 to 13. Uh, Max is going to get, I think Max has still got a really good chance to get the Frogs to a bowl game in the Big 12. And then all of these one score losses, you're looking at a top 25 SMU. You're looking at a Kansas State that was ranked in the 25 that beat Oklahoma. You're looking at an Oklahoma State one point or one score loss that's in the, in the top 25. Uh, and obviously you're looking at this game against an undefeated, uh, you know, top 10, top 12 Baylor. And so he is he is putting some skins on the wall against really, really solid competition, much better than what we would have faced in 2007 yeah. in the Mountain West. So I feel – and he's a true freshman, not a redshirt freshman. Yeah. And so I feel like he is much further along than Andy was his freshman year. And Gary even – Gary's even gone on record saying that already, that Max is better. He's further along than what Andy was. And Andy was a redshirt freshman. He had a whole year to sit, and that's what people don't understand. Like Max, Max didn't get all that time to sit there and watch from the sidelines. He he's been thrown to the fire basically since day one. And I'll be honest with you, I think even if you asked Andy Dalton, 
Andy Dalton would probably tell you that Max was a lot better than him as a freshman than what Andy was. And, and I, I, I think he's just going to keep getting better. Do I think Max is, has a chance to be a, a second round pick? Ah, not yet. The story's yet to be written on that, but um, he's still got a lot of great football in front of him. I do know that. Daniel, I want to get your input on crowd. What did you think of the stadium atmosphere that day? Obviously, there were a few Baylor fans that you know went up and bought their 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 T-shirt at Walmart and outside of Waco. Did you feel like the Frogs had a pretty good showing in terms of crowd and energy and all of that? On um, even though that they were coming in off of a dif- disappointing loss, uh, it looked pretty good on TV. <laughs> You're not even going to the games anymore, are you? Daniel's already melted in. <laughs> I'll I'll say this: uh, since I was there, you, the crowd was electric. It was by far the best atmosphere of the year. So for for guys, even though they lost, it was a great atmosphere for recruits to see. The crowd was into it. Even Melissa came up, and uh, she was on the field late in the game. She was talking after the game. And Melissa with Frogs of War, she was saying how loud it was and. I think Matt Rule even had some comments saying that that was the loudest place they've had to play in this year. So that's pretty complimentary. Yeah, I got to admit, when they when they panned the crowd at kickoff, I was like, dang, man, they showed up. 11 o'clock kickoff after a disappointing loss. They Good for them, man. Good for them. I'm glad people – in some ways, it's the last home game of the year. I know they have West Virginia, yeah. but that's the day after – you know, that's Thanksgiving weekend. They're, I will accept that that will not be loaded that day, but – I say good for frog fans. They showed up and uh, they did their part, man. They did their part. So got to feel good about that. All right. We're going to bring this part of TCU Baylor to an end. We went 50 minutes longer than we usually go on a game. Anything else either one of you want to get want to get in? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Fair catch. All kickoff returns. And all God's people said amen. I want someone, whoever runs the Stats of War, you're a good guy. I appreciate your uh, Twitter feed. Go and break down how much yardage the Frogs have lost by not fair catching every uh, every kickoff inside of the 25 because I feel like all we're doing is just giving up yards. Let's give up seven. Let's give up nine. Let's give up 12. I feel like they're not doing their job on that. So whoever's in charge of that special teams coach, whoever's making that decision, just fair catch them. I forgot to ask coach about it after the game. I, I am 100% going to ask him tomorrow because it, even even when they uh, return it, they never get it to the 25. And then at least one out of every five returns, they get a, a block in the back penalty. And it always puts them in the in, – and really – that's sure. that's what happened when Max did that ball to Shawo that he tipped. That they were in that bad territory because of the stupid kickoff return. They got a block in the back, and they not only did they only get out to like the fifteen, they got a block in the back that pushed them down back to the five. You just fair catch that ball right there. You're, yeah, you're plus twenty yards. There's one stat for you, Jeff. Plus twenty. When you uh, return it to the twelve and then have a block in the back and go back to the six, that I'm not I'm not a math major, but that is not good. Nope. That is not good. All right, let's let's just glance forward to Lubbock. Even though we uh, you know nobody wants to look at Lubbock, let's go ahead and acknowledge it. Frogs are playing at Tech next weekend. Frogs are three uh, three point favorite at Jones AT and T Stadium. Let's get some thoughts on the on the board on the record right now. 
Daniel, I'll start with you. Do the frogs do the frogs cover out there in Lubbock next week? Do they get the win, and do they win by more than three points? And what's it going to take to make that happen? What was the spread you said? Three point favorite. No, they lose. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, they it's, lose. It's just, they lose, and it, you know, by probably a touchdown. It's just. Um, I'm gonna just gonna go ahead and say the sky is falling. I mean, I might as well jump on the bandwagon. I got to be on some bandwagon, and it's not the frogs. All right, Jeremy, are the frogs going to win? They're going to cover. What do you expect out there in Lubbock this week? Sonny Cumbie's going back to his alma mater. He's got something to prove. He wants to do something big in Lubbock. Frogs' defense has some momentum. They're going to win. They're not only are they going to cover, they're going to win by ten. Oh, I heard that. I will go ahead and uh, basically agree with you. The Frogs cover. They win by 10, 14, something like that. I think we'll see a little bit better game from uh, from some of our receivers. I think they're gonna. I think there's going to be some soul searching on the sidelines um, and in the locker room and on the practice field this week. So I think the Frogs are going to get a big win out there in Lubbock, move to 5-5, five and five, and then you know go up to Oklahoma. That's going to be what it's going to be. And then that game right after Thanksgiving against West Virginia is once again going to be for bowl eligibility. And um, I'm hoping that they go to the Liberty Bowl. If they do, party at my house, people. Party at my house. So if the Frogs can do that, I uh, I, I will be happy. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they can't beat Oklahoma, but they're not going to beat Oklahoma. So they are going to win this weekend in Lubbock. Anything else from around college football this week that you saw? Obviously, LSU beats Alabama. Iowa State uh, has a rightful reason to complain about a lack of pass interference yes. call when they went for slightly. two to beat Oklahoma. Oh. oh, my gosh. Oh, that was – man. I don't know if uh, Lincoln Riley was just taking a nap in the second half, but they didn't do squat in the second half against uh, ISU. So, got to give it to Matt Campbell. He, his boys fight until the very last whistle. Hot so, good for them. I know that's a good question. Hot sports opinion, Jalen Hurts nor Sam Ellinger is the best quarterback in this league. That distinction goes to Brock Purdy. He is the best quarterback for his team with the way he plays, with the lack of big-time playmakers on that offense. They've got some good tight ends. Uh, Brees Hall is running the football better. Shante Jones is a decent receiver. He's not a world beater. But you talk about a quarterback that just makes plays with lesser talent than those other guys. He is he's my choice for the Big 12 player of the year on offense. If not, he'll be first, uh, he he should be first team quarterback. You know, I'm not really going to argue with that because the Purdy pump fake is a thing of beauty. <laughs> Man, that is a that is a well-coached team and Brock Purdy is an amazing quarterback. So yeah, not much else in college football this last weekend. Obviously, we mentioned Minnesota beating Penn State. I was happy about that. LSU is going to be the number one team in the country. Uh, Ohio State slaughtered Maryland. Uh, yeah, slaughtered Maryland. Um, we'll see what happens around the rest of the Big Twelve. Texas got a win, so they they still technically are in uh, in contention for the Big Twelve title game. I think they're going to beat Baylor. I think you're right about that, Jeremy. So, not much else around the Big Twelve this weekend. Uh-oh. All right. Well, we're going to bring this show. Do you want to ask about Bud Clark? 
Oh, I did. I put. I forgot that. I put that on my notes. Tell us about Bud Clark on site for an official visit. I'd love to hear your feedback about how all that went. Well, he, uh, I did a story on it. He had a great time, and I still feel really confident about TCU's chances here. He he came there in June and and was blown away by everything. And um, some of the word I got is that his parents really like TCU. His mom likes TCU a whole lot. He's being diplomatic about the whole thing. He's 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 still saying the right things about Virginia. He's going to go visit Ole Miss the first week of December, but I still I still firmly believe – I haven't put my crystal ball in yet, but I firmly believe that he's going to be a frog. Um, I, I just j- just think the vibes with him being around campus and, and the way the coaches uh, showed him a lot of attention and just the, the, the feeling that he gets being around those guys, I, I think that's going to win out in the end. Distance isn't going to play a factor. He told me that straight up that – he doesn't. Ma- it doesn't matter to him how far he's got to go from home, but um, I, I do. I do think that he likes the chance to play in that defense, especially as good as they are uh, and as good as they played. The atmosphere was great for him to see on Saturday, and so I think basically everything went right except them not winning the ball game. And I, I tell people this all the time: it you don't have to weigh so much on wins and losses to these kids. It, people. People freak out if they lose a game. You know, if, if Baylor would have lost the game, they would have probably had fans on their board saying they hope they don't lose recruits because of this and that. And and that's not the case. It, people knee-jerk a lot. And just because TCU didn't beat Baylor doesn't mean they lose out on these recruits. I mean, obviously, TCU's had a pretty bad season, yet you get Patrick Jenkins. You get uh, Jaquay Sorrell. So it's not like they're just – hitting duds on the recruiting trail. They're, they're landing some big time playmakers and they're in, in very, very good shape for guys like Bud Clark. They're in good shape for a guy like Garrett Hayes. They're in good shape for a guy like Marvin Mims, whether people want to believe that or not. So it, the fact of the matter is, yeah, wins and losses uh, hurt the fans feelings. They, they want to be able to be boastful and cheer for their team, have reasons to cheer for their team. But as far as from the recruiting standpoint, uh, it, it's not, it's not a big as a factor as some of you guys would think. So look at it from the perspective that just because TCU is losing these games does not mean they're going to be losing all types of recruits. Unless they fire. Some you know, I know that they lose our... like six of them. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm aware that we're having a rough season, and I'm also aware this is not going to be a huge recruiting class in terms of numbers, but just in terms of player rating, the Frogs are doing great. Yeah. I mean, the number of four stars that they have in this class compared to a class where they take 23-24, it's just as big. They really have quality players in this class. So I feel good about the way things are still holding up on the recruiting the way things are still holding up on the recruiting trail. So we'll see how all this plays out, but Good to hear that good news about Bud, uh, not, uh, about Bud Clark. So hopefully we can get some news here before December. He's not going to be an early signee then, He's right? signing on December 21st. Oh, yeah. he is. Okay. He is signing on December and I, 21st. And I, okay. and I will t- That's when early signing. I'll tell you a funny story about one of my Azel kids. And this, this just goes back to uh, a lot of people think that high schoolers watch college football like all of us fanatics do. I remember when I was in high school, I really didn't pay a lot of attention to, to college football. I, I, I mean, going to games and, and, and looking at records, and I, I didn't really dive into it hardcore like I do now or even when I was 25. 
and I was talking to one of my my kids from Azel that was at the game the other day, and and he was he was talking how excited he was. This was Thursday night. He was at my daughter's volleyball banquet, and he was talking about how excited he was. Uh, to be going over the TCU. And I said, yeah, it's going to be a pretty good game. Baylor's Baylor's pretty good. And he said, Baylor's pretty good right now. I said, yeah, they're undefeated. He goes, man, I didn't even know that. So, I mean, it just goes to show, like, look at, looking at wins and losses again, it, it's it's not it's not the, the premier reason why kids choose schools. Now, if you're winning national championships and stuff like that, yeah, it, it, it it's going to have a factor. But, the losses that you gather throughout a season doesn't mean you're going to necessarily lose all all types of recruits. the 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 reason why you lose recruits is you want to guess, Jeff. You're not showing them the love. Well, that's one of it. Coaching changes. No, coaching why? changes. Coaching yeah. changes. Yeah, coaching changes. So again, when Sonny that makes sense. gets fired, you lose six recruits. Well, if he doesn't know what he's doing, why do we want those guys anyway? You're speaking on behalf of the board. I'm just trying to piss people off today. I hope it works. I'm aware of that. I am aware of that. Oh, man. A couple things here, housekeeping, before we wrap up our show. One, uh, we usually get this out of the way at the beginning, but we're kind of hurried now because of weather. Um, Thank our sponsor, Teen Life. TeenLife.ngo is a link that you can go to on the internet machine, way to connect with this great organization that loves the Frogcast and we love. They help junior high, high school kids, help them uh, come alongside them in life, give them tools and resources to make good choices so that they can stay in school, they can get good grades, and they can take responsibility for their life and find ways to make responsible decisions. Go to TeenLife.ngo, give a nonprofit tax-deductible donation or volunteer and serve one of our local students. Go to TeenLife.ngo to learn more that you may not know now. Also, if you haven't yet, go to iTunes. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. We want people that love the frogs to know about us, that they can come and learn everything that there is to know about what's going on inside of TCU football. Also gives them a way to stumble onto our great website, hornfrogblitz.com. We're proud members of the TCU 24-7 Sports Network. Go to hornfrogblitz.com. And is there still a deal going on right now, Jeremy, where people can sign up and get like buy one month, get eight months free or something like that? Yeah, we've always got some type of deal going on where it basically costs you like $2 per month to be a member. Well, if I'm going to give you $2 a month, Jeremy, and I'm just going to line your pockets with all that clickbait, you better be giving me some accurate information. That's all I got to say, man. I don't I don't lay this money down so you can give me, I think, or I heard, I want truth. Yeah, can you do that? Us. Can you provide that for us? <laughs> I love it. If you're not a part of Horn Frog Blitz, you need to be. I thought I followed recruiting. I thought I knew about recruiting on the free sites. I knew nothing until I joined Horn Frog Blitz. And uh, if you're not a member, you need to go join right now. So until we come back next week to get highlights and recap of a big frog win out there in Lubbock against the Texas Tech Red Raiders, for Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening to the Frogcast. Go Tigers! Go Tigers!